Welcome back to another episode of Season 5 of the RAG Podcast. As you guys know by now, this is the number one podcast across the recruitment sector globally. And we've always been on a mission to help recruitment agencies grow by interviewing founders and telling their stories of success from startup all the way to scale up and exit. Well, this season we're a little bit different. We're not only going to do that, but we're going to focus on a little bit more. Since the pandemic began, we know so many people have struggled with maintaining their habits of, of success in work, but also everything else outside of work with it. You know, how do you as a recruitment leader and founder maintain your family and friendships whilst being the best person at work? How do you stay physically fit mentally and emotionally? And how? Do you find time for yourself in the madness? How do you find time for self-interest, for hobbies and self-improvement? Well, to help you with this, I'm going to be interviewing someone every single week that can demonstrate experience in one or more of these areas. So I'm going to talk to recruitment founders and also some experts from outside the industry who can deep dive into things like relationships and health and well-being. That's every single week. You have an opportunity to learn from an expert or one of the most decorated successful recruitment founders on the planet. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy today's show. Okay, guys, we are live and welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast. Um, today, I am always excited. I'm, I'm excited every week. Today, I'm really excited. I'm with Nick Vaughan. Nick is the founder of Hamlin Williams, um, the original founder of Hamlin Williams, and now um, also the founder and CEO of a brand called Talent Ticker, which I'm going to get into in a moment. I'm really excited. It's uh, What you're doing is just totally different to anyone I've spoken to, Nick, so I'm buzzing about that. Before I do get into it, I've got a couple of sponsorship messages, as always, to mention. A quick call out to Volcanic. <laughs> Everyone knows Volcanic are one of the you know most decorated, successful recruitment website providers uh, in the world. Um, and they've said, look, for anyone who's thinking, what are they What are they really done? Go go and check out their, their, their portfolio. So if you go to volcanic.com forward slash our hyphen work, it showcases some of the best websites they've done. Brands such as the Search Consultancy, Premier Group, um, and the stories and case studies attached to it as well. Um, also, Volcanic recently ran a webinar that they would like me to mention with Gordon Webb from Idaview and Janine Owen from the Talent Crowd on conquering the candidate conundrum. I know this is going to be soon available to catch them on demand, um, so keep an eye out from that. And finally, they are offering anyone who listens to the rag a free MOT on your website. To get that before Christmas, to understand where the hell your website stacks up against the rest of the recruitment market, go to www.volcanic.com forward slash hoxo. Our second sponsor today is District 4. I've mentioned these guys before. They're a community of expert recruiters who are all business owners in their own right. So it's a brand that <coughs> sits above a group of business owners to build their own, well, to own their own destiny. Now, on Monday this week, they started the challenge I've been mentioning every other week, which is called So You Want to Start Your Own Recruitment Business. It's a five-day challenge where they help you understand your why, your vision, your financials, your market, and, and help you effectively decide through building a business plan whether or not you know you should start a recruitment company or not. 2021 has proved, in my opinion, a fruitful year to launch a recruitment brand. The businesses I know that started early this year are doing really, really well. One client I spoke to today has done a million uh, pound in fees between two of them in the first year. So pot potentially now is the time. If you've 
if you want to join the group, I know we're a couple of days in, but you can catch all of this um, live and as well as you can you can also go back and watch the pre-recorded sessions from Monday and Tuesday. So there's a group on Facebook called Start Your Own Recruitment Business in 2022, free challenge. You can search and I'll make sure the links are attached to this. If you genuinely think you've got the ambition, the steel, the knowledge, the know-how to launch your recruitment brand next year, then get in touch with these guys. I believe that you will, uh, you know, you'll, you'll find it really valuable. Right, let's get into today's session. So as I mentioned, Hamlin Williams, talent ticker. There's a hell of a lot going on for, for Nick Vaughan. Nick, welcome to the RAG podcast. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me. Not a problem, mate. Not a problem. I, um, you know, We've got to know each other quite a lot recently. We've been speaking on and off. Um, and uh, as I said, I'm excited for today because I do think you've got not only got the, the recruitment build story, but you've got, you're doing something cool right now that I don't know anyone else doing. So, look, I've tried to give you an introduction. Give us an overview of, of who you are right now and what you do. Okay, so started life off in staffing, recruitment, um, started off actually at S3. Then, then I joined a company called JCW, which James Woods was, was yeah, on your yeah, body. Yeah. Um, I set up Hamlin Williams around 2011. Um, I, you know, scaled that business. It's, it's a business with just slightly over 200 staff across nine offices with doing around probably 54 million in revenues with good EBITDA. Um, mm. It's a business I exited around three years ago um, and don't have day-to-day -day interest in that organization as I went all in on a technology uh, play, which is Talent Ticker. Um, and effectively, Talent Ticker is from years within the recruitment space of thinking about what's really pissing me off as a recruiter and what are my pain points and how I can build a business that addresses those pain points um, and that's where we got to three years later, where effectively Talent Ticker is, we call it the Bloomberg for staffing, but it's a tool where you can predict when companies are hiring. And not only that, we will give you their hiring manager and their contact info. Wow. So for any, any recruiter from a business development point of view, it's about providing market intelligence where you're calling the right person at the right time for the right reason. Right. taking away all research and admin um, and increasing sales and productivity per head. And then on the other side, we've got our other product within Talentic, which is our talent sourcing tool. So we've got 350 million profiles and about 40 million company profiles, which effectively you can source and form outreach to. And we've got smart filters as well, where we've got algorithms which can determine which individuals are likely to be moving from their current job. And you've also got pro diversity tools where you're able to filter out by gender and ethnicity and in the United States, whether they're a veteran or not as well. So right. um, that's what I've been doing for just slightly over three years um, is completely all in on this project and this technology project. Wow. Exciting. Well, <clears throat> we'll get into all that. We've got lots to talk about, but take us back. So you said you worked to S3, you worked for JCW and then... You decided in 2011, I remember 2011, that's the year I got into recruitment. So I can remember that, you know, like it was yesterday. Why did you start? Why did you think about going on your own? Yeah, so I, th I think it ro rolls back before for S3. So being a third generation farmer, I've only known entrepreneurialism. Um, right. So, you know, youngest son, old man, um, can't, can't be on the farm. The brother has to do that. So he kicked me out to London, had to make my own money. 
classic <laughs> story. You apply for a job saying, do you want to earn a hundred grand in your first year? Yeah, I do. Didn't even know what recruitment was at all. So um, got that job in S3. And I suppose what I always want to do is join a, a megacorp to understand how megacorps work um, and then have a look at joining a boutique and then set up my own organization. And that, that's what I did. Um, and this is why I went from megacorp to boutique. Um, did, did really well in both of those roles that I did there. Um, was a top biller at JCW. Um, and I took what I knew um, and put that to Hamlet Williams. Okay, so you say you knew because of your background or family background in farming, you knew even on in the early days of taking a job in recruitment, you were probably going to start your own business in some way, shape or form. Yeah, so entrepreneurialism is in my blood. So the first business I set up was at the age of 11 and a half years old when the web was out and I had my own cigar business, online cigar business. So, you know, I've always done it. I've always been trading, wheeling and dealing. um, And I've always done it at a very young age. So, you know, and in a farming world, the people that you're surrounded by are all entrepreneurs. So you don't really speak to people unless they're an entrepreneur. So for me, it's just a very normal path to do. So everyone effectively makes their own living. They create their own future. They don't, they don't go and join a business, right? That's just part and parcel. So do you yeah. think it's, is it nature or nurture then? Like, is it, well, is it? It's do, definitely you think, both. do you think it's in the blood as, as opposed to just the environment you're in? Yeah, I think, I think it's both. Um, you know, her- where I'm from, Herefordshire, that there's a good line and breed of entrepreneurs here. So there's something in the water. Um, but it is both nature and nurture, I think. Okay. So where did the name Hamlin Williams come from? So, yeah, not, not such a funny story. Um, slightly quirky. So we set Hamlin Williams out to be a banking and financial services recruiter initially. Um, it's now a business that does financial services tech, cyber, and life sciences. And effectively, I wanted to pick an old school name that sounded a bit bankerish. So uh, I took my grandmother's surname. So I hijacked that surname and just dumped it into Hamlin Williams. So which one's one's the surname? Hamlin? Both. Hamlin Williams. Bit of double-barreled action. Right. Right. So that was your grandma's surname, Hamlin Williams. Right. Yeah. Is that a Welsh name? It is. Yeah, Spot on. Yeah. Um, wow. So it, it, it does have that kind of legacy prestige element to the name, I think, which you, which you went for. I remember when I interviewed Tom Glanfield about um, Harvey Nash, not Harvey Nash, Lawrence Harvey, and he said he basically stole, um, I think it was Harvey from Harvey Nash, and then I don't know where he came up with Lawrence, but he renamed his, his house to Harvey House by, uh, like, and he had all the posts coming to his house called Harvey House. Like, yeah. And then he made it sound so big and prestigious when it was just him at home, which is wicked. Yeah, he's kind of glamorous. I mean, th- those stories are great. I think, you know, when, when we first started Hamlin Williams, I started it on our farm. So it was a, a, a tiny little room. And I did that for, on the farm. It was slightly annoying. My, my dad would come in and he'd make me grade potatoes and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm trying to run a business here. Yeah. Um, so after four months, I went to London, and again, it was a tiny little room with no window. And then, yeah, we kicked off from there as well. So was it just you? Yeah, yeah. So you on your own in a farm in Herefordshire for the first four months, and you but you've been living in London before that. So you've yes. been home to start the yeah, business. yeah, yeah. So I, I I did all before that. I did all my career in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? 
paint the picture of what where where in London and what what was your life like when you went back to to London to to kick on from four months in? Um, do you know what? it's an interesting story because I know you want to understand what are the pitfalls and what are the measures and um, started life off in a place called eighty three Victoria Street, so it's by St James's Tube Station, tiny little room, um, and I work. I still get up at five o'clock every day, but I work all the hours of the day, seven days a week, you name it, just absolute hustle. And because I was a top biller in my previous businesses, uh, previous recruitment companies, I thought I could easily do this. Yeah. And actually being by yourself, it was, it was one of the most toughest things I've, I've ever done. Um, and you know, if you, if you hustle that hard, um, you, you actually get quite a lot of burnout. Um, and during that time, I got a bit of burnout. And I suppose the the switching point for me was start to hire individuals in. So then you've got atmosphere, you've got people in the room. And the moment we started hiring our first staff, that's when the business really, really exploded. Um, How long were you on your own for then? So four months on the farm. And then um, it would have been another four months, uh, three to four months afterwards in London. Right. And then, when you say yeah, burnout, yeah. What, what, what were the signs of burnout, do you think, for you? Burnout is when you walk into the office, you're by yourself, <laughs> and there's not, there's not a window to look out of, and you actually don't do any work in the day. And then you leave the office and go home and do the same thing the following day. That's the definition of burnout. And you can't quit because this is your only income, and it's your only job. So you're not actually doing a lot. You, you, you're underperforming, but you're, you're just going through the motions every day. That's what burnout is. Yeah. yeah. How did you snap out of that then? Can you remember? Yeah, um, I, I do remember. So I I balanced it up a bit. I started working out. That massively helped. I didn't work seven days a week. I only worked five and a half days a week. Mm. And then hiring just the more staff. You know, it's, it's almost like having you know a thoroughbred a racehorse, and you need to get the goat in the in the in the bloody stables occasionally, and and things start clicking in. Um, I wouldn't call it that, but hiring our first staff members, being held to account by the people that you employ, um, you're paying for their wages, you're paying for their livelihoods, sometimes their mortgages. Um, so it's those two things starting to work out along with balance, along with hiring employees. Yeah. And what what was your vision back then? Did you think about 200 employees and an exit and all these things? Did you have all that in your mind back then? Or what was yeah, that? Yeah, definitely. Really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've, yeah, absolutely. That's always been in my mind. Again, is that like, because again, I'm, I'm not sure there's many farmers that build, do they Do they think that, oh, I don't know, I'm, I'm totally like. Yeah, no, like, some, 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 some do think like that, yeah. Do they, I do mean, they think about scaling the farm and exiting and all, is that something yeah. that happens? Uh, yeah. Well, growing bigger, you know, I've got some friends who farm 20,000 acres, which is which is pretty, pretty big. Um, yeah. One of my neighbors, Will Chase, he, he was a potato farmer founded Tyrrell's Crisp, sold that for 30 million and then wow. sold the business, uh, which is a drinks business to Diageo for 100 million the other day. So yeah, um, yeah. Right, so it is that, there is, I don't know why, maybe, I just have no experience in that part of the world, right? Um, I lived in a concrete jungle growing up, there's no farm where I, <laughs> I was. Um, but okay, so you've got this grand plan, you then, how did the business, evolve from eight months in start hiring people how what was the honest trajectory of what it looked like because everyone always makes it sound so easy on these interviews and i'm it's like easy. It's, 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 no, it's, 
it's never easy. I didn't have a board advisor. Um, and, you know, you're young, you think you can conquer the world, you can work all the hours in the day and don't listen to anyone because you're some freakish alpha. Um, no, what, the clicking point for us, I remember it, I remember it so succinctly, is there were five of us in this office. It was a mad crew, but working 12-hour days, absolutely pumping it, and we're doing permanent contract. And we're doing banking recruitment initially. And, you know, I, I decided to do front office recruitment, and... I placed an individual called Greg Wagner to a uh, Brazilian bank called Itaú, and that fee was 400,000 US dollars. The actual fee was 400,000 US dollars. Not only that, I won a big piece of work with a bank called Coots, and I pumped in 20 contractors on a daily average margin of 170 pounds a day on 12 month contracts as well, payment terms of good. So I had these 20 contractors out, literally placed inside for a couple of weeks, along with $400,000. I'm paying 18,000 pounds on the base to 20,000 pounds on the base with an office probably cost me a grand a month. It was literally like just somebody just implanting you with hundreds of thousands of pounds and you get to spend it. And the worst, the worst thing I did is I didn't spend any of it. Like I took the guys out for a pint and that was it. <laughs> Even though it was like mega. <laughs> Mega stuff, right? <laughs> That's how I'm like. And, you know, the, my mistake is um, I scaled then aggressively from five to 30 people inside of four and a half months. With that cash? Yeah. And um, without an operational infrastructure in place. So that was my biggest mistake is you're trying to rain make them for 15, 20 grads, trying to feed them, trying to keep them happy, take them out for beers and everything like that. And the reality is um, you're a busy fool. And, and you, have no, you have no managers, no leaders, no, no infrastructure. No, they're, they're, they're a crowd, and so you're just trying to bring them through as quickly as possible. They're trying to do their best. And, you know, we produce some really great recruiters who are still in the company and some who have set up their own businesses and everything like that um, who came through this cycle. But... The reality is, you know, in hindsight, I would put a good infrastructure in place, good TA, HR, um, and a management team before scaling like that again. Yeah, I bet. So what 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 happened to that thirty? What was like the tipping point where you fucked it up? What, what was the sim? What was the symptoms oh, at that point? Staff churn over a thousand percent. It was a joke. Um, <laughs> I, th I think, like you said, when when you're busy for. I think, you know, the, the turning point came in when, you know, we thought, right, we need, you know, the definition of insanity is, you know, hitting yourself against a um, brick wall and expecting something different, right? So, you know, we uh, brought in an ops director, HR director, learning and development individual. Um, I brought in managers as well. And that's when we started gaining some infrastructure. Um, I hired a finance team way too late. You know, we were turning over millions of pounds in our second year, um, mainly through contractors, and the cash flow management was non-existent. You know, wow. it was propped up by perm. Um, there were there were holes in that. So, you know, we probably hired our finance team too late. So it came about when we started putting in the right hires for the right levels. That's when things started sustainable did you get any advice or support on this stuff because as you said you had no mentor or so did you go out and find that in that period or did you keep i did on? yeah so um 
it was around three years into the business, something like that. Um, we brought in a financial advisor called Paul Glynn. Um, yeah, he, Paul, he was, yeah. He, yeah, yeah. So Paul's really good sounding board. He helped yeah. us build a finance team. Um, and, you know, he was providing oversight for finance there. And then we brought in another um, non-exec director to provide good oversight of the business um, called James Ash, who's um, the chairman for LHI, actually. Um, so once you bring in, you know, a bit of gray hair and experience and, Just like, and me, you know, like me, yeah, yeah. That's it. Uh, and you can listen to them and you, you take a, take their advice instead of thinking, you know, it all that's when, you know, your business can accelerate a fair bit quicker. Yeah. Makes sense. So where, so did you stay at 30 or did you drop back down to then grow again? Did you cut the grass? To no, grow? um, we, we all stayed at 30 actually. Um, and then I think. If I'm not mistaken, after three years, so we wanted to dominate everything. I took two two guys, uh, Ali and Will Brown. Will Brown had only joined four months in, and Ali had only been a year. I go right, you two, you're 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 heading up Hong Kong. So uh, flew them out to Hong Kong. They had to set up that, and then we took two other guys and um, and put them into New York. So we just opened up Hong Kong and New York same time. Boof. Um, and again, that was just, that was madness. That was absolute madness. So, uh, you know, that's then me on an airplane every second or third week, constantly for about, for, for, were you in a, were you in a relationship and stuff at that point? Yeah. 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 So yeah, I, you know, I'm married and I entered a relationship with, with my now wife. Uh, just before I set up Pamela Williams. Yeah. Right. So she's been through all of this. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's carnage. <clears throat> and you're saying like, you know, you, what, what, why did you launch those two at the same time? Is that an ego thing or did you have a real, did you genuinely know the market was ready or? So um, that was client led. So at the time we're doing financial services, banking recruitment, this is at a time when I'm not sure if you remember the billion dollar fines to HSBC for money laundering to drug yeah, cartels in South uh, South America, BNP Paribas getting fined over seven billion uh, for sanctions. All of this was going on, and you know we had clients Barclays, HSBC, uh, Goldman going, "Hey, can you do all of our recruitment out of Hong Kong?" So we were doing it initially from the UK, and they're right. There's a lot of demand there. We need some FaceTime, so we send that out. And then exactly the same thing happened in New York. Same clients going, my God, we got money laundering problems, compliance problems, risk problems, everything like that. Can you sort this out for us? And again, uh, we did that as well. And how, well, I think it was Russell Clements from S3 that I've seen speak years ago. And he said that, you know, dominant, growing globally sounds great, but actually opening a second office probably more like doesn't double your com the complexity of your business probably quadruples if not 10x is the complexity because you, you've just got so many new things to think about you go from one to three in two different locations on each side of the planet uh, like what what change what, what what change did that make to you as a person and the business itself yeah and also as a nutter we opened up in sao paulo six months later uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's close that down that fell. um <coughs> Russell would be right in saying it, it It adds a lot of complexity to your business. It drains your time unless you've got really good leadership in those offices, of which um, we've got really good leadership, but they weren't inexperienced. Yeah. Um, 
your on a flight pre-COVID a lot. Um, the other component that I would say is it costs you so much more money as an investment than any recruitment lead understands. So you do your financial planning, hey, we're gonna go here, it's just gonna make me loads of money and be an ATM. It, it rarely works like that. It might work like that at the moment in a post-COVID environment, but that will normalize next year. Yeah. Um, it costs you way more money than, than you would have budgeted for. Why is that? Because of it's just hidden things or? Little, little things, staff churn is, is a big, um, you know, uh, a big cost to your bottom line. So if you've got staff churn, that's 80 to 100%. Let's say you're going to New York. Nowadays, New York, you know, minimum wage is about $58,000 on the base, unless you're doing sort of sub 40-hour weeks, which you've got, you've got to do timesheets. You know, that's just for a grad. That's for an associate consultant, right? So you what want to does that translate to in the UK, about 40K or something? Yeah, a bit more than 40. Yeah, 1.3, yeah. 1.35 wow. on the FX. So you're talking about a huge... Uh, capital investment there yeah. and if you're churning you know associate consultants at 100 percent you know you're not making much net profit at all no. And, no. and not only that is you've got to bring in management you've got to pay your management right you then got to bring in learning development that there's far more costs than people realize yeah well dsp on uh the episode i thought was it last week or two weeks ago got aria last week um talked about how recruitment companies make no money in the scaling process, right? Or base very little, you know, you shouldn't, you should be thinking about putting everything back in, you scale, scale, scale. When you stop the growth, the, the net profit starts to come in. Is that a, a, a mindset you, you would expect, you'd say you've had the experience of and you agree with? Uh, it, 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 it depends locations you're going to and the maturity of your business, right? You know, if you're just a pure play contract business, right? Um, of course, that's going to be the case, right? So you're, you're following your, your exponential growing your headcount and the contract GP is following up along the way. <laughs> if you're doing, you know, you had Storm 2 on, right? So they're smashing out FinTech, America, average deal size on perm, 30 to 40K, payment terms, 30 days. You can get grads up and running doing 30K deals all the time. So you can actually scale and actually follow uh, profitability or level of profitability quite quickly. Um, there's, you know, the sage advice for recruitment entrepreneurs known as is once you're up to a hundred plus, yeah, sales headcount, you should be having a business where you can grow your headcount 60% a year, your gross profit by 40% of the year, every year, and always maintain 20% on drop down from GP to EBITDA. Right, right. That's a re that's a well-run business, and that's something that twenty percent EBIT is what you'd expect. Convert from GP, yeah, on that level yeah. of growth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so what? What um, what what I'd like to know is what, what point was the business when you exited in in was it twenty eighteen? Did you say? Yeah. So where was Family Williams at that point? Um, it, it it was in a place where you know. I've done a lot of research on, on the tech side, and it's something that I made a conscious decision that I wanted to go all in on. Um, so Hamlin Williams was still in a place where it was finding its feet. Um, it was very sizable, very scalable. How many, that's what I'm thinking. How big was it when you left? 
120 staff, something right. like that. So you, you personally led it through that 100 barrier? Yeah, yeah oh, about yeah. seven years, you know, so whatever it was, yeah. Yeah, and how, and how like, before we move into current day, like, what, what, do you, what do you believe makes the difference to go from 30, which is that benchmark number that most brands don't get past, to 100 and beyond? What, what was it for you that, if you were going to go back and, you know, educate the next gen, what is it that they have to think about to get through those barriers? It's strange. Right? Like, number one, it's all about your people. And I'm really thankful for all the staff that, that have come on a journey with us in the first business I set up and all the other businesses. Yes. So it, it is about the people. Hannah Williams uh, had and have some fantastic individuals in there um, who are very driven. Uh, they want to do well. Um, and, and they are great managers. So it is about the people, number one. But when you're in that 30 people stage, um, then there's a, couple, there's a couple of things to think about. Your, let's say your own <laughs> business owner, you're tr trying to drive high growth, um, you're finding your feet, and you, you know, there's going to be cash flow problems, there's going to be your biggest biller leaving you multiple times, and they're going to steal with them their clients, everything like that. So that, that 30 element, if you're running it on your own cash, yeah, um, and you're trying to push it really hard, it is a very, very difficult job because um, you, you, you're trying to upgrade your staff. You're trying to attract the best staff you can, even though your value prop is exactly the same as anyone else mm. um, the majority of the time. So the 30 stage is really difficult. Now, one thing that did it for me is, you know, people, hard work, like, you know, literally up five o'clock every single morning. I wouldn't stop until eight or nine o'clock at night. And I'll be still working six days a week. Yeah. Um, being able to ensure when you're scaling like that, you've got to have really good accounts. That That's key. So if you cannot employ lots of experienced staff and know how to transact easily, you need to make sure that you've got really good accounts or tools like Talent Ticker um, in order to um, ensure there's constant job flow coming. Because the moment you don't have those good accounts, you can't ramp up your grads very quickly. They're not getting a taste of the bonus. They're not getting quick career progression. And they'll get pipped by larger competitors to go, hey, come over here. I'll pay you five or seven grand more on the base. Here's a juicy commission scheme. And, and that happened to us. Coming out of it, yeah. That happened to us many <clears> times. So I think having the right people, working hard, having good accounts, and then putting the operational infrastructure in place. So good L&D, good HR, good ops in order to then take it to the next level. But is it a mindset that you've got to think, right, I'm going to spend here. I'm going to spend my way through this because at the end of the day, at 30 people, you're probably making, you could make some really good money, make some good profit. And I think that was the bit I got from DSP was like, it's about going, well, actually, no, I'm just going to keep spending. I'm going to see, I'm going to think bigger. I'm going to invest. I'm going to, I'm going to roll the dice and keep rolling the dice. You have to. Yeah, you, you, you have to. Otherwise, you're a slower growth business. The most ambitious staff want to be joining a winning team, a winning business. Mm -hmm. They want fast growth. They want international opportunities. They want fast career development opportunities. They don't want to work for a Mickey Mouse company, you know, the, 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 the true highest performance. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. So you get through that 100 mark. What was your job like then and you got more offices than three you know are you still traveling it's pre-covid so what's your life like what's your day-to-day -day like back in 2018 
Yeah, I think um, it, it was quite tough because <laughs> I, I started two other businesses as well um, on top. So I set up in, in between that time a cybersecurity business where we set up our own SOC center in Costa Rica. We're selling MSSP solutions to medium-sized corporations. So I had to scale that quite quickly. And I sold that in a management buyout after something like 16 months for um, good seven figures. Um, and then I also set up a management consulting, financial services management consulting business, which which took up a lot of my time as well, scale that up. So we raised about $5 million in pre-seed money. Um, and I scaled that business. So I was on the tools, bringing clients, you know, um, doing all the recruitment, um, setting things up, and then having somebody to run the business. So it was how many moves already at a point where it was running itself then that you no. could do that? So, so I had to do Hamlet Williams and these two startups, scale them up to get to a point where we could we could exit in the yeah, the management consulting business I exited the majority of my stake to private equity last year and you were a new father at that point pretty much yes yeah 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 so we had we had uh, irish triplets so we had our kids were one two and three so yeah so three under three um yeah. and now they're slightly older yeah mate i mean how the hell do you cope with all that what what's you say you wake up early but what genuinely like how the hell do you keep yourself motivated focused present in the room when there's so many different things going on um so i'm i'm pretty so you know i, I suppose i'm ingrained as literally a farmer <laughs> getting up early in the morning i remember at the age of 10 years old if i wasn't up at six my old man would come around with a bucket of water and pour on my head um just to get me up <laughs> work on the farm so when i get up in the morning my routine um get up get showered get dressed I would then go through my day management and my weekly management. I'll start off with most difficult tasks and I'll just execute, execute. And when you're up at that time in the morning, there's no, there should be um, no one really there to disturb you. Mm -hmm. So I shut everything off and I just execute against those bulk tasks. And then that can then allow me to interact with my people during the day. Um, so so that, that's how I diarize it. And if you're disciplined with that, and you know you work smart but you also work hard you can gain a competitive advantage against you know other competitors do you think that that would be your your secret then if you <coughs> so if you weren't up at five <coughs> if you weren't up at five you're up at seven or whatever and you had to cram the execution part of your job as well as the people side of your job into a normal day and then I suppose after work, you've got your, your wife, your children to think about bedtime, bath time, all the things that everyone deals with, you know, had you not had those two hours in the morning, you probably have, I imagine you struggled to get that in. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. If you, if you look at sort of compound interest, if I'm working, let's say 30 hours, 20 to 30 hours more than any of my competition, but I'm executing as well in that time frame over one week two weeks three weeks over a year i'm achieving much more yeah what about sleep like do you feel like do you have to go to bed early to keep getting up at five like because yeah everyone says wake up early like you know and i've done this but if you don't change all the time you go to bed you're just missing out on sleep and that's the biggest contributor to like low performance in a day like you know you're, you're not if you don't get enough sleep you're not optimal 
don't matter if you get up at five, you're going to be fucked throughout the day. That's the truth. So you're in bed at nine till 10, get your what, seven hours or whatever you try and get. Yeah, six to eight hours a night. Good as gold. Yeah. And, and at this point in your life, were you still dealing with, were you actually trying to be a father at night? Like, what was your wife taking over it? Like, how much involvement did you have in the personal side of things? Yeah, good question. In, uh, in the early days, um, very focused on the businesses and the job. Um, I'd be away the majority of the time. I think, you know, when COVID happened, um, I saw loads of my kids, which I'm very thankful for. Um, very, very thankful for. So COVID very strangely has brought me very close to my children. And, you know, I've been, a, you know, I'm working from my office in Herefordshire today as an example. I get to pick them up from school um, and I get to see them. Hmm. So before COVID, you probably weren't as involved as you are now. You were, you know, was it more weekends than than in the week? Yeah, yeah, it was um, a Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, never in the week. No, and people have got, to, I guess, understand that there's a there's a trade there is a trade off. I think if you're going for that large growth, hundred headcount, two hundred headcount, whatever, you, there's a bit of a trade off that <laughs> you can't have everything. You just can't do everything. You you can't have everything at all like that that just doesn't exist you know um even if you raise 10 million dollars five million dollars to accelerate your staffing company you still got to put the hard graft in in order to hit the high level figures so i don't care what anyone says you know work-life balance is the balance that you want okay mm -hmm. and that people need to be very comfortable with themselves about what balance do they want and what works for their family and i'd never judge people on what their balance is no no did you say you ever got would you say you ever got that wrong did you ever go too far one way or the other in in your career as a leader mm, I, th I think you know if, if i talk about let's say my marriage um my family um my wife you know i've been going out with her for 14 years it's, it's a long time yeah. i went to school with her as well so yeah. um we were very aligned, me coming in to set up my first business, about what our outcomes are going to be and the outputs and what we want to achieve. And she knew exactly the level of sacrifices that I need to take. Now, you know, she was upfront with me that she said, look, all I want to do, I want to be an amazing mother. I want to be the best mother that I can be. I was like, well, that's great. You know, yeah. so we're very aligned in terms of what we're doing. We're very tight as a family, as a couple, about where we're going. And I think that really helps. I've got loads of friends who have had divorces where the partners aren't aligned to, to what they both want to get out of it. Um, yeah. and, and they go down different pathways. Whereas, you know, touch wood, right now, we're very much aligned to what we're doing. And, you know, we still spend quality time with each other every week um, and have a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that... That's what I would, I mean, I've had my own experience, of course, and, and I try and talk about this a lot because I do believe that, you know, finding, again, everyone has their own balance. It's not about, there's no, there's no one size fits all. That's why I like asking questions because I think you pull stuff from everyone else's experience, but communication is something you need in every, in every bit of balance, in every relationship, work, work relationship, personal relationships. You need to know where each other stand and be comfortable with that. Um, and it can change though. Like, there's a lot of couples who get together perhaps pre-businesses starting and then businesses take over and 
the space the wife or the husband wasn't prepared for what was going to happen and yeah unfortunately they go down different paths so I'm, I'm delighted to hear you've you've been able to keep hold of that um so <clears throat> how did the exit come about then so you mentioned you talked about you were already thinking about tech so what when was that sign in your head that you know what i'm i'm gonna get onto something else here like what was the symptoms what was the story yeah, around so that a couple of things i i felt i took hamlin williams to a point where my skill set wasn't maybe the best where that company was at the time it right. needed really good strong experienced management in place so we brought in uh, a ceo into run hamlin williams and then we started building out the executive team once i thought that was in a good place and there's a chairman and an independent board of directors um i then exited from that business but i suppose i i, I was always scheming even back in 2017 just to understand whether we could get, you know, whether I could go into tech, which I thought is the future, is the future of work. Um, in, in my head, I thought recruitment, we, we, you know, as recruiters, we're still so fucking far behind where, where the ball is in terms of digitalization, tech stack, integrating tech stacks, and then actually improving productivity per head and reducing mm -hmm. happening. And in my head, I thought that, you know, I should be able to literally call up let's say talent ticker is almost like siri go hey give me all the java software developer roles in london in fintech gives you the list and utilizing outreach program you can do that in an automated way inbound to come in you qualify the jobs and then using our talent sourcing tool you can then perform outreach for those individuals and connect them up all using tech and you can do it whilst you're playing golf um, and in my mind that's where i want to take the future i want to make it the journey i want to take our our members on and our customers on the talent ticker is hopefully trying to reduce admin and research increase productivity per head um, and sales per head and allowing those individuals to have better enjoyment in the role and if you're a recruitment owner <coughs> ceo increasing your bottom lines as well so once i have that firm in my mind about right this is what i'm going to do um, I literally exited from Hamlet Williams. I've got no day-to-day -day running in that company. It's Did you have any like time off in between? Did no, you go and have a no, 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 no. <laughs> so, no, 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 no. Um, oh, no, time off. What? Never. Yeah. <laughs> um, so went went straight into it. it. It was really difficult, right? Because tactic, we we sort you know the most basic form of market intelligence is, is vacancies. And we came across some suppliers. Hey, we provide vacancies and. Right, right. Okay. Well, the horse is already bolted. If if you if the vacancies out there, HR's working on it, the RPO, TA, and and, and the PSL providers. This this is rubbish. So it's like one provider market intelligence is vacancies. But for me, what I wanted to get at is being able to source all the event types or forms of market <coughs> and then predict the future. So so you can get ahead of the curve and actually get high quality business. So it's about exclusive roles or retainers and you know even in this COVID world i find it amusing when people are like hey i've got loads of jobs on at the moment it's like okay yes cool so you've got 100 jobs on great how many of those are exclusive or retained well five seven five right so out of 95 you're up against multiple competitors your fill rate is probably 10 percent yeah well how about we scrap those and only figure out how you get quality 
business, retainers yeah. or exclusive, and that's getting ahead of the curve. So, you know, that's the precipice and what I've built Tout Ticker on is being able to predict that. And one of our models that, that we built where we've got patent pending is we can predict when a company would be going out to raise money three months to four months before they do the raise. So mm -hmm. gaining that competitive insight is, is key. And then in our product roadmap is the talent sourcing tool. So it's, you know, that's when I went on all in the why, why did I do it? Solve a problem for the staffing community. Um, that was key for me. I really do actually care about recruiters and the staffing industry. So I want to take everyone on, on that journey. And I suppose our early adopters and customers, I'm really thankful for because they've had to go through a lot of shit with us, bugs, AI problems, stuff, just general stuff not working, us yeah. not in the market intelligence they want. And every single day we get better as we take our customer feedback. But um, the other side of it is, look, recruitment valuations as well. If you look for an exit, um, deals are anything from five to about 12 times EBITDA. Tech valuations, <laughs> dependent on the industry and sales intelligence, future work, HR tech is hot right now, and it will be for the next few years. You're looking, as long as you're a high growth business growing anything from 100% to 500% a year, um, you're looking at multiple of anything from 12 times to even 40 times multiple of your ARR. So the only you know organization I, I can point to right is Zoom Info. If you look at Zoom Info, type in Zoom Info market cap, they're worth $29 billion and they're trading probably around 38 times ARR, Zoom Info, mm -hmm. right? Um, if you type in Michael Page and you have a look what they're trading at, it's night and day. So for me, that there, there was that aspect that tech valuations are a lot higher as well. So what does that mean to you? Like, so what is my question? Like, why? Why you you must you must have enough money now from Hamlin Williams that you don't need any of this to have a really good life? Like, why are you doing it? I think for, for me, it's the vision for for talent ticker and, and what we're aiming to do. So, you know, we want to be that marketplace, the leading marketplace for talent and becoming the global leader in talent market data and insight. And for, for me, it, it is that vision is, I want to ensure that talent ticker is the Bloomberg for staffing. It's the one-stop shop and Bloomberg's a hundred billion dollar business. Um, so they do all right for themselves. And I think the staffing market, um, has got that opportunity to have an organization that does that. Mm -hmm. The only big entrant I've seen over the last 15 years of doing this is LinkedIn, who've, yeah. made, who've made a great, great play. Um, if I look at CRM providers, the, the largest that I've seen, what, which is quite impressive, is Bullhorn. Uh, they're so, they acquired, so they acquired Cube19 yesterday. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good, good for Dan on that. Well done to him. Um, and, you know, what, what, what's transformed them, right, is, you know, their growth for the last five years, creating a marketplace um, and then going along the acquisition model as well. So I only look at sort of two major companies in, in that space that have absolutely nailed it. So I think the timing is now right uh, for a business like Talent Ticket to come into that play. Mm -hmm. But again, it's all about solving external problems, isn't it? Is there, is this, what does it mean to you to, if you sold for 50, million or 50 billion or whatever is there, is there a number in your head you're trying to reach is there a reason for all this like 
huge growth, huge exit strategy? No, I, not really. There's not a number. No, no. And is it? Is there anything you're thinking of buying with it, or is there any? Is there anything that's motivating you internally as opposed to it all being external? Um, yeah, th th these are good questions. People have asked me these before. That not really. Um, I can buy <laughs> most things that I want in life. Probably yeah. not there on the Falcon jet, sixty million dollars. <laughs> um, no, uh, kidding. Um, not not really. Probably want a bigger farm. Um, that's about it. Do you think you like? Do you think you just? It's just a game. Like you just enjoy the game. You want it, to win. It, it, it is, but I, I suppose for me, I'm a big believer in legacy. Hmm. There's a lot of recruitment businesses and HR tech businesses that sell for big money and then five years later you're like where did they go so for me you know when i go all in on on talent ticker i want to transform the industry and be that bellwether and when i leave it i want to create that legacy and it grows exponentially without me and you know i you know for, for me having roots you know obviously i'm from herefordshire we're quite uh, agricultural uh, county um so creating roots and having a legacy is ingrained in me and a big deal. Yeah. And do you foresee the same level of blood, sweat and tears hours that, <laughs> that went into Hamlin Williams for the next 10 years or so for you now? Is that the same, same attitude? Go again. It, it has to be. Mm. Like, you know, oh, talent tickers taking it out of me, believe me. Um, <laughs> like financially yeah. and, and time, you know, if, if I have one customer that churns, honestly, I, I just, I just lose it, lose the yeah. plot. I, yeah. you know, I want all of our customers to be happy and, and ensure that we're, we're hitting the right things for them. So it, it's a very strange one with what we're doing. Like we built 20 different AI models and we've got multiple patents pending. If I have a look at some of these potential competitors that we come across, there's no patents pending their mm. workflows that all workflows and they integrate in. We're predicting the future and unfortunately that takes time and a lot of capital and there's a lot of uh, mistakes along the way. So yeah, it, 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 it's going to take all of my time for, for the foreseeable for sure. It's crazy. So in terms of time off, you laughed when I said take any time off, but what what is time off for you? Like in a, in a year, how much time would you say you take? Do you, you know, how do you how do you unwind? Um, so I got I got a friend who runs North American business on Spence Ogden. He, he put it eloquently. He goes, "Look, you need to take a, at least a week off every quarter. So jam it into the end of the quarter. Always take a week off." And I kind of like that mantra. Um, so you're always taking your frequent breaks. Um, Post-COVID year has been a bit of a funny one. I've only taken off uh, one week all year. Um, I'll probably take a couple of weeks off, a few weeks off this side of the year. Um, it's just been a bit of a freak year. Uh, my, my time off, there are therapeutic things. So after this, um, I do try and uh, go to the gym. So like at quarter past one, I'll go to the gym. Um, and then I suppose on the weekends, it's all about the kids. Every weekend is all about the kids. Uh, my two little boys love farming. So I take them around our Hereford cows. We feed them, we go around them. You know, I haven't chucked my one little kid on top of the ball yet. Or anything like that. But, um, yeah, so mow the lawns, 
random stuff like that. <laughs> it's so yeah, I love how it's still very humble. Like you know, it's not like you're saying right, we're gonna go fly a private jet around Barbados. You're like you know, it's pretty humble your your attitude to it, which is crazy. It's like it shows us more of an there is an innate drive that's not about just the flashing it, flashing the cash, and you know instant gratification it's actually there's there's something a bit longer term there um which is mad what so if you could like if you could unpick the last you know what is it 11 10 10 10 11 years since you started Hamlin Williams and and give three actionable pieces of advice to an aspiring or a current recruitment owner that's sat there you know sub 10 staff like 81 percent of the of the sector but is genuinely on that vision. Like I've got, I've got one brand in mind. I won't mention them, but I spoke to him this morning on the phone. You know, they've just done a million quid at the end of their first full year. Their accountant, they, they went out and bought cars. The two owners went and bought nice cars. <laughs> I think a Porsche and Aston Martin. And, the, and their accountant, they were like, please let us do something. And then they're like, right, the rest is going back in the business. We're going to fucking grow. And they're smashing it. These two are going to do really well, right? I know they are. They're going to be... So I'm, I'm thinking about that, <laughs> that kind of audience. What advice? Give us three things that they really need to make sure they, they think about. I think in, in, number one is like, what, what, what kind of company do they want? Because to your point, anyway, you can have a really nice 30 person lifestyle business, probably what would you be doing? Three to four million quid. And if I turn that into about one to 1.2 million EBITDA, take the money out, great. Um, if you want a high growth business, I, you know, number one, if I was my younger self, I'd, I'd definitely bring in a good board advisor who is experienced at scaling, let's say, 10 to 100 stuff. Yeah. Right? So they they know exactly what point of the journey you need to be hiring the right staff, and usually they've got good connections. That would be, yeah, that, that would be a big one for me. If you're going down the grab model, and let's say you're 10 staff, I'd hire early a sales trainer or learning development individual. That just takes a lot off your plate so you can continue to rain make and bring in high quality talent. Um, and I would never under invest in your finance function um, at all, especially if you're doing a contract business. So if you're doing a contract business, I'd definitely invest in a good finance professional early doors. Because, yeah, <clears throat> to make sure you don't make the same mistakes you made, which are there. How how far down the journey would you say when you mentioned that whole rainmaker mentality, which is very very common in our you know top billers launching agencies? Where when should they be thinking about perhaps not being the rainmaker and actually being all the revenue coming from the team? So if I have my time again, I I'd push it out as quickly as possible. So I was at. 30, rainmaking, left, right, and center, working all the hours of the day, right? Um, and, you know, what I realized is, you know, I had everyone watching me and they were watching me doing the fishing. And actually, I should be turning around to teach them how to fish. Yeah. And, you know, I'd pass on the relationships accounts down straight away um, and train them up. That's what I'd concentrate on. So, you know, even if you're a 10 man business, that's what my focus would be. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. And, where do you get your your news, your inspiration? Well, what sort of things do you read? Are you into books? Are you onto online publications? Obviously, Talent Ticker, I'm sure you get a lot of value from your own tool. But outside of that, where would you where do you pull value from yeah. on a daily basis? Yeah, so uh, mainly, you know, I've got Audible and 
and podcasts. So obviously I listen to yours, Sean. Um, awesome. I read one book a week. So I read at least 52 books a year. Um, and that that's anything, you know, fiction, non-fiction, business icons, sport. I, I'm in sports, so sporting icons. Um, How do you get, then, what time do you do that in the day? read a book so um i would let's say you know when i'm traveling so i travel a lot so you know for my place there london is three and a half hours um for my place the other office is an hour and a half right yeah they so get get to do things then so you get to uh listen to the pod a lot so i think there's a variety of podcasts that i listen to um and audible so yeah i'll, I'll do a lot of um self-development and reading yeah and finally then so moving forward what's your someone's just actually written a guy called kevin uh, kevin kevin sorry from australia's but how's the job market over there with your market intel you know what do you predict for recruiters uk-based recruiters in 2022 what's your What's your honest opinion of what's happening? Where do you see the market go? I know that it's a broad question, so you can refine it how you want. But we know we're on this boom market now. We're flying a rate. I spoke to my academy this morning, I had like 100 people on it. I said, well, how's the market, guys? Tell us what's going on. Is it still as busy? Everyone's like, it is literally on, it's on another level. Like, it's not slowing down anytime soon. So what do you think is happening next year? I think, you know, what I'm seeing on the indications is uh, – you, you you see a lot of boom right in in this post COVID era for a number of reasons. Organisations weren't that worse off post COVID, apart from retail and a few other industries. So they had cash in the bank to invest, and they want to invest in in their businesses on on R and D and people. And then you also had a lot of private equity and VCs and and angel investors who had a lot of cash um, to spend as well, and they got to spend it. So what you've seen this year is an unheard of level of money going into headcount investment. So if you're a recruiter this year, literally make hay while the sun shines. You know, work as hard as you can because this is now the opportunity for you to earn as much money as possible. What, what we're seeing, uh, um, the indicators that we're seeing, especially from funds being raised and everything like that, Things were normalizing around Q3, Q4. Okay, so so what, what's going to happen in a normalized rate? And this is why people, recruits need to understand this, that, you know, you need to get great relationships and great accounts, and this is an opportunity to get your target account. So, you know, one of, I remember when I first started recruiting, I always wanted Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan, always wanted, and they knocked me back every time I couldn't get in, and I'd try and sort of get around HR via managing part and stuff like that. Couldn't get in for love nor money. Now's the time to get in to JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs. Because I guarantee you this, when things normalize ever so slightly in Q3, Q4, the talent acquisition processes would get better because they're spending more on TA tools. The RPOs will get slicker and they'll tighten up the PSLs and they'll reduce your margins as well. So, you know, Things were normalizing Q3, Q4. Is that Q3 next year, you think? Next year. We're going to have a good six-month. You think we'll have a six-month boom market early next yeah, year? Yeah, definitely. But, you know, we're seeing some of our clientele, and they're doing, you know, so Talent Ticker, we just launched um, Life Sciences. It's a new industry for us, right? So candidate short market regulatory affairs, and 
we, 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 we got a chap on there six weeks in and he got the details for our town <laughs> a regulatory affairs professional in, in California and um, called them up, got the cell phone, headhunted them, marketed the CV using our BV platform and made $85,000 placement. $85,000. This person's only got six weeks of recruitment experience. They don't even know what recruitment is. So, you know, what, what we will see is in Q3, Q4, um, it's almost like that the tide's going to go back out and it'd be the organizations who are really well run, organizations where they've taught their recruiters how to recruit properly and not just in a boom market. That's when there need to be reliant on great tools and have great processes and training in order to still grow the way that they've grown um, in those coming years. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Well, thank you. Look, Nick, I uh, really appreciate that. Um, you are a, um, you know, you've, you've done something brilliant, I think. You've, you've, you've not only built a great business in our sector, you know, you've now taken your knowledge and you've applied it to help others. Um, you know, similar mindset to me, I believe, in the way that we think and the fact that we both do genuinely care about the space. It's not not just lip service. Like, you know, the one, the one thing I love about working recruiters is it is working with your friends, your colleagues, people that you would have worked before. And it's, you know, it's an amazing sector. So thanks for the work that you're doing. Um, if anyone does want to reach out to you, they're interested in Talent Ticket or they just want to pick your brains, um, where's the best place to get you? Hit, hit me up on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. All right. So I'll tag you in everything here. We'll get you, uh, we'll get you anyone, anyone wants to reach out to you, we'll do it that way. Um, and let's get you back on next year. Let's get another conversation on next year to find out one, how Talent Ticket has progressed, two, whether or not your predictions of the market are, are coming true or not. Nice. All right. Thanks, Sean. Legend. Look, appreciate it. Thanks for your time, mate. Guys, thanks for listening as always. I'm going to play the outro video. I'll catch you again next week um, on another episode of the RAG podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses, how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. and would love to talk to you. Tune in again next week. That's live on LinkedIn at 12 p.m. on Thursday, or you can catch the show on the following Monday from 6 a.m. on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'll see you soon.